With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Folks, do you feel like everything these days is go, go, go? It's nonstop from work to friends to family and a million pressing issues. Sometimes you just need to take a playoff and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. Hey, it's that time of year in Minnesota again to get out on the lake, go to the cabin, sit back, watch some baseball. Coors Light is the perfect refreshment to chill during these summer months. There's only one beer out there that's made to chill. The mountains on the bottom and cans turn blue when your beer is cold and that way you know it's time to chill hit that reset button with some mountain cold refreshment Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Coors Light is the one you should choose when you need to unwind. When you want to hit the reset button, reach for the beer that is made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Hello and welcome to another episode of Purple Insider presented by Scout Logistics and Symbol, your stock market for sports. It is the Friday roundtable and filling in for Sam Ekstrom is intern Paul, Paul Hodewanik, no longer an intern, and Arif Hassan from The Athletic. Uh, what is up, Arif? Uh, not much, just uh, arguing about pro day times on the internet. <laughs> oh, it has been a time this draft season. I, I don't know. Maybe it's because everyone is still home and not doing anything a reef, but I feel like this draft season has been the biggest bleep show of all previous draft seasons. And maybe it's because there's a lot of quarterbacks that could also add to it. Uh, you have no NFL combine, lots of quarterbacks, and it just seems like nonstop endless debate. Oh yeah, no, it's uh it's pretty brutal. I don't think it was as bad as uh, w- w- what year did Josh Allen come out? Twenty eighteen. Oh, Twenty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one. That was pretty bad. Um, but I, I, I think a lot of people just like let thinking fly out the window. Whereas here, I think it's just a little bit different. Where like, because all of these quarterback prospects are like just verifiably really great, and so you just kind of have to manufacture some debate. So in that way, it's it's a little bit more annoying. With the Josh Allen stuff, I thought we had a leg to stand on in terms of like, I don't know about this. I mean, he, he turned out great. So, you know, I guess I was wrong. But um, I, I, at least you had something to work with. Whereas like with these quarterback prospects, I guess except for Mac Jones, these quarterback prospects are just like fantastic. They'd go number one in a different draft. So cool. Yeah, that definitely uh, changes things. Um, Paul, hi. How are you? Hello. I am good. <laughs> Paul uh, does an incredible job of staying out of internet fights. So he might not know what we're talking about when it comes to this stuff. I admire um, Paul. This is but great. I know, right? Uh, he lives in his intern Paul cocoon on the internet where he just tweets about the masters. So let me, uh, I'm going to direct this to intern Paul first, and then you can take it wherever you want it. Um, I was looking at a study from pro football focus, Paul, about how, um, players transition into the NFL from being rookies. 
and it takes a while for certain positions and other positions do it quicker. Uh, would that impact your thinking? And then Arif, I want you to respond to Paul. Uh, would that impact your thinking on where the Vikings go at number 14? Uh, I just, I don't know if the Vikings are going to be looking at that uh, specifically. I, I read your piece in terms of offensive line really see a boost in the third year. Uh, the first two years, they are relatively non-existent in terms of, you know, production for another team. Um, so I would look at it, but this team is in win now mode. And the sentiment around the team is that they have n- not been able to find any sort of offensive line and, so I think if they don't pick an offensive lineman early, then they're going to get skewered uh, by the public, by the fans. And in general, they need an offensive lineman. So I'm not against them taking a high caliber offensive lineman, but nothing um, in the study showed that we should be expecting much out of any tackle, any guard, any center. So does that make me want to take Rashad Bateman or some wide receiver more because we know that they can produce right away? Yes. And would that make sense in the terms of Rick Spielman and Mike Zimmer fighting for their job? So they need immediate production. Yes. But I would still expect them to take an offensive lineman relatively early uh, one, because they have a big need and two, because if they don't, I I think they're going to hear about it that we've heard about it for years and years, but it feels like we're hitting a boiling point where if some move doesn't get made, then, then things are going to have to change. I think virtually any position they draft in the first round, virtually any position is defensible. Like they take an edge defender. You're like, yeah, I get it. You know, they're, they're a defense oriented team. They should probably worry about the offense a little bit more, but I get it. Right. Uh, They take a cornerback. You're like, yeah, I mean, that guy might go to jail. So cornerback, that makes sense. Right. Um, Wide receiver. Hey, maybe they're developing a more modern offense. Plus Adam Thielen's getting up there in age safety, you know, same thing. You don't know how long Xavier Woods is in the building quarterback. That'd be amazing for content. I would love that. Um, you know, these are all like everything, but running back, I guess. Um, and, and I don't know if there's any really nose tackle candidates, uh, in the first round. So you can't really get a nose tackle, but, uh, any, anything but like a running back, a nose tackle, even linebacker makes sense. Given Anthony Barr's contract situation, you know, he's going to be a free agent. So, um, they all make sense. They're all defensible to some degree or another. Some are more defensible, obviously the offensive line position, um, you know, you could draft a guard, even a center, um, and especially a tackle, and that would that would make a ton of sense. Obviously, it takes a while for them to. Um, I haven't actually seen the most recent, uh, but I saw a, a Timo Risks um, piece from a couple of years ago about how long it takes for them to to develop into good players. And I remember centers taking um, three years. I'm sure that hasn't changed too much with the new newest round of data that they have. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it takes a while for offensive linemen to make an impact. The first round, I imagine, it, it's a little bit quicker. Um, although I might just be remembering because like Quentin Nelson and and this year's uh, class of or last year's class of tackles had a fairly instant impact. Um, but yeah, I mean, they they spent their entire free agency load essentially on on defense, right? They they I guess they traded for a guard kind of, um, but everything everything else was just a was focused on the defense. So I expect it to be offense. Um, but certainly it would, it would fit the kind of the meme team effort if they decided to go defense, grab a cornerback, super hilarious, I think, if they grabbed a cornerback. Um, and, you know, it, you know that, that all makes sense. So um, this is kind of like one of the few drafts where going in, I just don't have a crazy hot take about what they should. I mean, they should grab a quarterback if they can. But like, <laughs> I mean, that's almost always true anyway. Um, but I don't have like a crazy strong opinion about what they should do. 
Well, I feel the same way. And I wrote a little side column for bring me the news about how best player available actually is what you should do. And if that's a quarterback, then you should do it. And if it's a cornerback, you alluded to the uncertainty with Jeff Gladney. And I still would have said you should do it even if Jeff Gladney was around because he didn't have a great year last year. Cameron Dantzler didn't stay healthy last year. Uh, Patrick Peterson is not a long-term solution and Mackenzie Alexander might not be either. Uh, and you remember the right. value. They're, they're all in one year contracts and, right. and, and Mike Hughes, they didn't pick up his options. So that's three cornerbacks at the, at the door next year. Right. And you remember the value of Xavier Rhodes when he was at his best. So if you take JC Horn and he becomes that guy, well, I don't know that Cameron Dantzler or Jeff Gladney's ceiling was that anyway. And that's before Gladney's issues of which we don't know if, and when he will play for the Minnesota Vikings again. Uh, now, the, the, the kind of the, the thing that does come to mind, though, is with the pressure on Zimmer and Spielman, how do they view their needs? Like, I think that you and I look at it and say, wow, I mean, 14 with five quarterbacks in the top 10, just take a guy and you're going to get somebody who's talented. But get inside their head for a minute. And I think that's what Paul was trying to do is say, look, I mean, you might have to just get an offensive lineman because you really desperately need an offensive lineman, even if that isn't the best player available. I think for them, it's, um, I think they kind of don't care about the reaction. And I think the drafts of the past couple of years have demonstrated that they just don't really care about reaction on draft day. And I think to some extent that's right, because if they win, no one cares, Right. Um, in fact, I mean, Zimmer kind of alluded to it, uh, the game after, uh, Hughes had that pick six, he's like, ah, you're all laughing now, huh? <laughs> um, and honestly, I mean, that was a pretty great draft because they grabbed Brown and Neal in the second round. So I, you can't really be that mad, but like, um, if, if they win they're they'll be fine. So they're still going to be pressured to find a way to win. Now, maybe that does mean an offensive lineman, right? Because of just the state of the offensive line. Um, but I, I just remember from the Zimmer presser. Like he looked at the state of the defensive depth chart and like fell into despair. And he, he did not think this about like the offensive line, right? Like, or he didn't bring that up. Right. And so uh, I, I feel like they, maybe they don't want to like make do like he, he believes in the trenches. Right. But I, I just think that they think whatever is the best path to winning is the one they want to take. And that's the best path for their job security. And maybe that means grabbing a defensive tackle, even though they just have two, essentially because uh, Michael Pierce's contract rolled over, they essentially have two free agent signings at defensive tackle. They might grab a third one. They might do what the New York giants have done and just make sure they always over invest in the defensive line. I don't know. Not like the New York giants are like a model winning organization, but like that, that seems to be, you know, the way that, that Zimmer sometimes thinks. So whatever they think is going to help them win this year, I think that's what they're going to do. Um, and, and maybe that means an offensive lineman. Um, you know, I, w- I would, I would hope so because after running through like all of these simulations, uh, so many times, uh, even if you trade back and grab a guy in this, there's not that many second round off. There's a lot of third rounders and it really depends on what the Wisconsin whitewater kid, Quinn Miners, where he goes, you know, that's up in the air. There's just not a ton of second rounders that fit what the Vikings do that are like wide zone offensive linemen. Um, and so I, I would imagine taking a look at that depth and, and, and one thing Spielman is really good at is getting a good lay of the land for what the draft is going to end up looking like and, and where player runs happen and stuff like that. And I imagine looking at that, that will motivate them to pick an offensive lineman in the first round, whether that's to trade back in the first round or stay at 14 or whatever. Arif, uh, a couple of days ago, Matt and I were having a conversation about the third wide receiver and the value of taking one in the first round specifically for the Vikings. I love it. I love it. And <laughs> Just, just talking about, you know, how much 12 and 21 that the Vikings play in 
the amount of 11 that they play compared to the rest of the league. And if the value of taking a first round wide receiver for the Vikings would be as high as say another team who's in need of a third wide receiver who uses three wide receivers in the game much more than the Vikings do. I'm interested to hear your thoughts in, do we believe that that pick, because we know wide receivers drafting them is a good idea. Their value continues to kind of go and go up and up as we do the research, but for a team like the Vikings, is that value as high when they're just haven't been committed to using them as much as the rest of the league has been? I, I think it's not static. The, the personnel that they'll be in, um, they, they lost Kyle Rudolph, and I think if they drafted a receiver in the first round, they're going to want him on the field. I think they would move to 11 more often. In fact, last year we saw more 11 from the Vikings at the beginning of the season, and it wasn't working out, and Gary Kubiak was like, you know what, last year's offense was fine. I'm just going to do that. And they did that, and the offense was fine this year. Um, and so I, I think that if they grabbed a receiver, they would just be in 11 more often. The same thing happened to Dallas. They grab a first round wide receiver. They've got three really great wide receivers. They go into 11 a lot more often. Um, I think, you know, the Vikings were, uh, first in the league in 12 personnel last year and the year before that. Um, but they were, despite being first both years, they were in, in 12 personnel dramatically less last year than they were the year before. That's how bad it was two years ago. Um, and, and their closest competitors and they close is like a relative term. They were actually not very close in, in terms of 12 percent at all was the Eagles. Uh, and, uh, and that's just because they had two really good tight ends and a bunch of garbage receivers. And as they added receivers, not necessarily great receivers, but as they added receivers and the, and the quality of their, of their tight end unit, just because of injury and, and drop off or whatever, um, you know, got worse, they got into 11 personnel more often. So I think even teams that, that feel committed to a particular identity in terms of, you know, what they want to look like, or what they've historically looked like. I think once you add like undeniable talent, they'll find a way to put them on the field. So the Vikings grab receiver, maybe they'll use 11 personnel less often than another team would. And, and in that sense, you know, the value would be less than for another team, but I still think the value would be pretty high. And if you add up Rudolph and BB and BC Johnson together, you're over 50 catches there for what those guys add up to. And Jesus, that's so, right. <laughs> right. I know. That's what I'm saying is that, you know, you add those guys up and that's like a lot of targets and a lot of catches that you would replace with somebody who's going to be better at the football. And I also think that just, this is ties back into the best player available is a, you just need to get someone who can help your football team because you have enough openings. And the other B being that down the road, you're never sure when things are going to come up. I mean, the Vikings in recent years, and this is where I want to go with this conversation in recent years have drafted guys that they needed right away to fill the openings that were there. And if you have a roster that's really strong going into 2018, going into 2019, you can definitely do things like that. But when you have a roster that isn't as strong, you just need talent. And then you need to figure out how to use that talent. So if it's a pass rusher and we go, Oh, does he weigh enough for Zimmer? Like, well, I don't know. Maybe just take him so he can get to the quarterback because you need anyone who can do that. <laughs> Steven Weatherly probably isn't that guy as a full-time starter. Right? So, but I, I wanted to ask your opinion, Arif, on guys that would be taking that jump that the Timo Risky article from PFF talked about, where center, for example, the first two years of a center were pretty low, first and second year, and Garrett Bradbury's, well, they have been by PFF <laughs> metrics, right? Uh, so let's talk about these guys that should be taking jumps. We'll leave Jeff Gladney out of the conversation, but corners take a big jump in the second year. I don't think Justin Jefferson, it's really 
possible to take a huge jump from I mean, I think he'll regress statistically, even if he gets better, like in terms of technique and film and stuff like that. Yeah. Just because I mean that's just an insane season to have to replicate. Right. And defenses are going to go into the offseason looking specifically at how yeah. to slow down something that he yeah. does. They probably won't, but I mean to right, statistically, it's it would be hard to be better than like top five um in PFF grade. But the other guys all need to take a step forward. So let's start with Garrett Bradbury specifically. Like, do we think that the situation has just been not good for him or is the skill not there to take that step that many centers do in year three? It's so tough for me to say the skill's not there because there are some plays or even just some full games, honestly, like, uh, uh, when he when he played against Delvin Tomlinson, actually, um, he's he's just been good. Like he's showed great technique. He's shown really fantastic athleticism. He's shown um, you know recovery capability, good pass protection, great run blocking, um, and he's flashed in basically every area of the game that you want a center to be good in. In ways that just feel like you know if he if he just maintains consistency, you know then then he'll be a really good center. Obviously, he's not a really good center. But um, it, it's all it's all been there. You know, I, I think when um, when I was watching Pat offline play guard, I, I never got that feeling. Right. Um, obviously, his rookie year at center. You know, I thought there was some stuff there that you could kind of you know build on in a big way. Um, and I know you did, too. You, you were a big fan of, of what he was able to put together as rookie year. Um, but, you know, after he came back from injury, I just I didn't think that there were like these things that you can build on for him. Um, whereas for, you know, Garrett Bradbury, I just think that there are plays or full games or even just series where he feels like he's just really tuned in and turned on and, and a really good center for that period of time. And obviously the name of the game for any offensive lineman is consistency, but there's a big difference between an inconsistent offensive lineman who's just not that good and gets away with like their, their physical um, capabilities. Um, say like a TJ Clemmings, right? You know, he's had some good plays. It takes a while to find him, but he's had some good plays and it's mostly because he's just overwhelmingly, he's a physical force. Um, but for the most part, you know, he can't replicate that. Whereas if you find somebody who's consistently good or, or good because they put together some interesting technique that works on a consistent basis, but they just don't do it from play to play. You can build on that and make sure that they work on their muscle memory and all that and, and, and pull it all together. So I, think there's something there for Bradbury to be able to take that step and the this is the perfect offense for him he's best when he's on the move I love watching him on screens um I think there's something there um to build on that's not to say he will take a leap but I think that the opportunity that I think for a lot of players that are graded pretty lowly their first two years I think that of that subset Garrett Bradbury has you know a higher potential to to make it becoming a solid player Hey everyone, we have a new special offer to tell you about with our friends at Symbol. If you go to symbol.app, that's S-I-M-B-U-L-L dot A-P-P and sign up as a first-time user with a $20 deposit into Symbol using the promo code PURPLE, you will receive six months free of premium Purple Insider written content at purpleinsider.substack.com. So go to symbol.app. Deposit $20 if you're a first-time user, six months free of our premium written content at Purple Insider. If you are not familiar yet with Symbol, it is a new sports marketplace where you can trade shares of professional teams like stocks. So as we are fully into draft season, you're going to want to get in now with your team before their stock rises. Here's how it works. You buy stock of teams, and when your teams win, you earn cash payouts that are instantly deposited. So check it out, symbol.app. Follow them on Twitter at Symbol Exchange, and check out the marketplace for sports.
Folks, the football offseason is off and rolling, and SodaStick has you covered with Minnesota sports-themed gear. Some of my favorite football designs that you have to check out include the Chuck Foreman Spin Doctor gear. You can commemorate Randy Moss's disgusting act on a shirt or a hoodie. And if you're old school, check out the Purple People Eaters design as well. Go to SodaStick.com and check them all out. If you use the promo code PURPLEINSIDER, you can get free shipping on all your Minnesota sports-inspired gear. All of their apparel is screen printed here in Minnesota on super soft, super comfy shirts and hoodies. You will love it. Plus, keep your eyes and ears out for our giveaways going on on this show as well on social media. Follow them at SodaStickCo on Twitter and at SodaStick.com for your original Minnesota sports inspired goods. Code PURPLEINSIDER for free shipping. And if we're going off of, um, you know, this general premise that a year or two into their career, we're seeing a big step, maybe offensive lineman year three. Are there guys that they've taken in the last year, two or three that you see as this year? Okay. Maybe someone can take a jump because one thing when I'm just scanning through the list of drafted players, I think we go off of Spielman's couple big hit drafts where he's drafted a lot of really good players that sustained runs, especially in like that 2017 year. But, you know, going through last year's draft and the year before, especially in the mid to later rounds, there aren't, the cupboards are kind of bare. So if we're not looking at Garrett Bradbury, if we're working off the, okay, they can, someone's going to improve a year or two into their career. Is there someone you see on this roster that could step in and fill a need that hasn't yet? Uh, There's two. I think that um, the one that the Vikings seem a little bit more excited about, which is just intriguing to me is Rashad Hill. The last time he was a starter, not that great. Um, but you know, I think that we kind of forgot that when he started for the Vikings, he was relatively young into his career. He feels like he's like this longtime veteran backup, but I mean, he hasn't actually played in the NFL for an extraordinary amount of time. Obviously he's a free agency. So he's on, you know, I guess, I think it's just a second contract. Um, but you know, he's in a position to be able to prove that he's actually developed and learned. That's kind of interesting. Um, It's not that I have an extraordinary amount of hope for him, but he is, I think, a pretty valuable player regardless. I think that even where he stands from where he was last year, even the year before, he's a really valuable swing tackle and he could take that next step. But I think the most tantalizing option is Ole Udo. Um, who uh, Zimmer mentioned, I think even before Ezra Cleveland, when when they were talking about the left tackle position. Um, so uh, Udo, I think, is in that sweet spot. I think it's like, what, year three for him, maybe? Um, it, or, or something along those lines, close to it. And uh, what Udo said something really recently where he was just like, yeah, that game I had against Chicago where I you know, played well. I looked at that. Actually, I didn't play well at all. I played like garbage. I'm, I'm really, I thought it was embarrassing. That was interesting because Matthew and I both looked at that game. We're like, wow, we don't really had it. That's good. Um, and, you know, if, if he feels like his technique has improved that much, um, that, that he feels like he's an entirely different player. Yeah, yeah, you were relying on like self-reporting and stuff like that. That's only so reliable. But I think that there's, you know, potentially, you know, you can work off of that and maybe that player can take the next step. Again, I don't think either of these things are the most likely thing on the planet. But if we're looking for players that are in a position to take that next step, I think those two are options. And then obviously, Ezra Cleveland is an option. I think PFF overrated his level of play last year. I don't think he was very good. I think part of that's just because he was a guard. Um, And I, I don't think he should be playing guard doesn't look like you'll get an extraordinary amount of opportunities at tackle. Um, but if they hold this like, you know, huge open competition for the tackle spot and he, you know, takes it by storm, I wouldn't be insanely shocked either. 
the Rashad Hill thing is real in their eyes. And, you know, if you look at just a picture of Rashad Hill or watch some tape from him playing in 2017 to look at him last year, just the body shape is different. Like he looks much more lean, much quicker, much stronger than he was basically when he got to Minnesota in 2016, he wasn't some journeyman lineman. I mean, he was a rookie then who had been on another team's practice squad that they picked up basically because he has insanely long arms, insanely giant hands, and just this like wide body that is hard to get around. And considering it was his second year in 2017, where overall he played more than 700 snaps and did not tank the offense. I mean, think about that. That's, um, a, that's a good point. Yeah, he was not an insane liability. Right. And he went up against Cameron Jordan in the Minneapolis miracle game and actually played. Okay. Like didn't get Clemmings. Uh, I was, right. I was watching that game from uh, 2015 with the Broncos and Vikings the other day and TJ Clemmings at right. Were. Like, Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah. Like you guys, <laughs> Is think, that the one I think that's the game where Clemmings sacked Bridgewater, right? I th- yes. Yeah. <laughs> not great i feel not so great. bad because like talking to clemmings he's like such a great guy to talk to i never but like god was he not good at football no he was not and also i remember in the locker room because he didn't want to talk to us he was one that would hide behind the uh the doors and peek over to see if we were gone yet to come out of the shower um he, he really he really just didn't have the mental makeup for it. I think not, uh, it wasn't a physical issue at all because right. he was freakish physically, but that aside, I, I think that what they've seen from Rashad Hill behind the scenes and the fact that they were ready to start him for last year tells you about his development. That certainly doesn't say that he's about to be an all-star. The only Udo thing is kind of become like a joke to me because yes, he played well in that week 17 game. Armand Watts looked like Aaron Donald that day too. Yeah, and yeah. yeah, you know, like uh, our guy, Alexander Holland. Alexander Holland was just right, good yeah, to bring I mean, him up. Wow. Like, what a great on, game he had. It was a preseason <laughs> game. Okay. Um, you know, the fact, the fact that they didn't have Oliudo active most of the time kind of says to me, like, I think he's on the outside of that, but the Ezra yeah, Cleveland, a bit more, yeah. yeah, the Ezra Cleveland element of it kind of muddies the entire water on the offensive line. But I, I wanted to get to Irv Smith jr. And his step for next year, because last yeah, he year should be on the chart too, right? Because tight end is a year three deal. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, t- tight end is absolutely one of the hardest positions I think to come into the league right away and, and succeed. And so Irv Smith has gotten to come along slowly as a number two tight end. And then he gets a little more opportunity, but there have been other players, a reef where we've gone like, Oh, well, that guy's gone. Who cares? Next guy up. It'll be fine. And it has not been fine. So will it be fine with Irv Smith jr.? Uh, I mean, the, the thing with Irv Smith is that he hasn't done anything to make you not believe in him. And I think that just a lot of people have like taken that and run with it and thought, you know, he's just going to break out. But, you know, the converse of that is he hasn't done anything like we, we don't have any evidence that he's any good. Um, well, I, we have some evidence, right, that the Vikings were just kind of willing to let Kyle Rudolph go and they were like fine with it. And that's like, you know, an indication that based off of what they saw that Irv Smith is ready to take on, you know, a bigger role. And that's not nothing. Right. That's pretty meaningful. Right. And like the fact that the Vikings refused to play Drew Samia until they were physically forced to, um, you know, that was a good decision on their part. Um, so, you know, teams have a pretty decent amount of knowledge about the players on the roster. And so that's evidence. But, you know, in terms of on the field, so we haven't seen anything from him that's an indication that he's really going to break out. Um, we can trust that in the third with the third year thing for tight ends, that there's, um, you know, a bigger 
chance for him to break out. And certainly he's got, you know, physical skill set that that's, you know, that's built for that. Um, so long as they kind of use him like, you know, Jordan Reed in Washington or, or Vernon Davis in San Francisco or something like that. Um, you know, he has that, that capability. Um, but, you know, I, I just feel like it, we've come back around and by we, I just mean kind of just people who watch the Vikings have come back around to just kind of assuming that he'll be good. Right. And, and you bring up a really good point that like, you know, maybe you know, that's not like always the case. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think there's like some level of concern there. What we saw from Tyler Conklin in the last five games was just really phenomenal. Um, you know, he's not going to be a 80 yard a game or anything like that tight end. But, um, you know, there's a floor, I think, for tight end performance, probably that you'll hit. And honestly, not having elite tight end production is fairly manageable in the NFL. You can do just fine. Um, so it's not like an insane amount of concern for me. And he's immediately he's a good blocker. Right. So some of that other stuff, I mean, he, he game one, he was a better blocker than any other tight end on the roster and a couple of the linemen. So, you know, he, he'll, he'll always have value to the team, just whether or not you can replace his receiving production. I don't know. Another reason to draft a receiver. <laughs> yes, I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> Similarly, on the defensive side, it feels like after a year and after a strong second half, uh, we've kind of just said, okay, Cameron Dantzler's in there. Just plug him, plug him in the in the starting cornerback lineup. Like we're going to fill these other holes. We're going to go get Patrick Peterson. Mike Hughes is going to be gone. We got to find a slot guy, but Cam Dantzler's there, and it makes sense. But it also is a little bit concerning just because. Look at just looking at historical trends, like the first year of a cornerback is not exactly the year you judge a cornerback and how they're doing both good and bad. And Dantzler showed, you know, he missed five games last season because of some injuries. His, his frame is a little um, smaller than maybe you'd like. So is that a spot where we're just saying, okay, plug Cameron Dantzler in and, and let's, and let's move on. I mean, I think maybe the spotlight's a little bit more on him now that Gladney is in the situation he's in, but are we just in a spot where we're, trusting Dantzler as that number one or number two corner and just letting him ride. Uh, calling his frame a little bit smaller. That was pretty generous. I think on your part, um, his nickname is the needle, right? <laughs> his frame is a concern. Well, Paul's not one to talk about someone else's frame. So <laughs> not, not even slightly. <laughs> um, I, I think that that's going to be a perpetual concern, by the way. I don't think he's a guy that you can bring into an NFL weight room and be like, yeah, we'll just add like 30 pounds. He'll be fine. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like Ole Miss tried it and, you know, they've got a pretty decent weight room. Right. And, um, you know, it produced like DK Metcalf. Like it's not like, um, and it, it, it just, it didn't, it didn't work. Right. Like he showed up to campus, like 165 pounds soaking wet. Uh, and, and they were like, man, we got to feed him and put him into a workout room. And he gained like over four years, like 20 pounds. Like, it's, it's, I don't think it's going to happen. Um, so that, that's going to be a perpetual concern and that's going to cause some problems just in terms of his, um, potential to avoid injury. It doesn't seem like it affects his like ability to like play when he is healthy. So like, that's kind of cool, but, um, you know, for the most part, that's, that's going to continue to be a concern and you have to worry about kind of his game to game availability. And then also his like year long availability. Like you don't know if you can build around this guy for the future, right? Just because at some point he's just going to maybe accumulate too many injuries. Um, so that, that's going to be something that you have to think about going forward. Uh, and then there's also something that like the reason that everyone's excited about Cameron Dancer is not because of what he did for the entirety of his rookie year. It's what he did in like the final eight games. And, and 
that is a more important sample than the first eight games, but it's not like those first eight games didn't happen. And I remember so many players that have done well in the final couple of games of a season and were like, wow, he's finally figured it out. He's put it together. And then nothing, right? Like Sam Darnold did it. Teddy Bridgewater did it in 2014 and his 2015 was pretty average. Geno Smith has done it three years in a row where like his final eight or final four games were like great. And you're like, ah, he's got he's to figure it out. And um, I remember in quarterbacks more than anyone else because people talk about quarterbacks more. But this has happened to like every position where, where somebody has. And I, I know I just referenced Tyler Conklin, but he's not expected to start. Right. So I can I feel like I'm comfortable getting away with it. Um but like we have to be careful just saying because they did well in the final whatever games of the season to pretend like the first couple of games never happened. Um, so there's that second concern where like the representative sample that we have to build on this hype and he played really well. I don't want to like downplay it. He played really well. Um, but I think that we should remain concerned, right? Um, Cameron Dancer could potentially put together a season that's pretty disappointing based off of the, the level of expectation that we've got. Patrick Peterson is an open question, I think, um, despite his resume. Even Mackenzie Alexander actually had a pretty decent year um, in Cincinnati, and, and he finished out with the Vikings fairly decently in his final two years. Um, even he, I mean, like he might provide a, a floor to work off of, but he's not going to like win you games from the slot or anything. Um, so I think we're acting or a lot of people are acting as if the secondary issue maybe is not resolved, but is a lot more stable, but really there, there are almost as many questions about the secondary this year as there were last year. I mean, last year you had rookies. So it was, there was a lot more uncertainty, but there's still a lot of questions. I, Patrick Peterson hasn't played well in two years. Like I, I feel like a scheme change will be better for him, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, Xavier Woods and Mike Zimmer both said, Xavier Woods didn't play well last year. <laughs> oh yeah. So. They both said it. And, and I think they're both correct in their diagnosis that they asked him to play in the box too often or whatever, but like still he's coming off of a bad season. And that's part of the sample that you use to evaluate players. Exactly. And so this all sort of ties back to, again, take your best player and don't worry about this guy or that guy, because that guy might disappoint you. And that's why, like, I feel a little goofy saying, guys, if it's a corner, that's actually OK. And, and you know, people are going to have the pitchforks and, and want to come after Zimmer's head. But right. it's like, that actually might be a good decision because yeah, it, get- it would not shock me if they took certain or horn at all. Right. You could get yeah. the best corner in the draft, though. So, like, that's not terrible for you when there's questions and with Dantzler the whole idea of well he just has to add weight Uh, but he's also not fast so are you going to add weight to a guy who I mean I know that his agent put out a video saying he ran a 438 or something but that didn't really happen so he ran the 46 in the in the combine and I think last year we didn't see him getting roasted like that but if you lose 1% 1% of speed. If you're Cameron Dantzler, you will get roasted. I think he's just at the level he needs to be in order to keep up with people. So this is interesting. So the PFF uh, live coverage of the draft mentioned, uh, or I think it was live coverage of the combine. I don't know, something. It was, it was one of their live shows. Um, I think it was Mike Renner um, who mentioned that actually Dantzler put on a bunch of weight right before the combine. And that's why he ran mm. so slow. Uh, and so he didn't have that. And remember, he didn't weigh in at that fake pro day that never happened. Right. Like he could have been running at 165. And it's like, well, I'm glad you ran a 438 at 165 or whatever you ran, um, whatever number that turns out to be. Um, but that's not going to represent, you know, the conditions that that, that people want you to, to run in. Uh, and, um, you know, that that weight was, you know, apparently, you know, he just probably just bulked up without thinking about kind of 
how to bulk up because you need to do it really quickly. Because if, if he showed up to the combine weighing 160, it just would have been curtains, right? Like he would not have been drafted in the third round. He would have been drafted in the sixth round. Like that, it would, it would have just sucked for him. And so uh, that, you know, him adding weight is like the, our, our sample of one, him adding weight is not uh, turned into a guy that has the ability to kind of run with uh, NFL receivers. And yeah, he did pretty well against Jamar Chase in college. That's fine. But uh, if if you're an NFL team and and you see Patrick Peterson at like 40 on one side and Cameron Dantzler who ran a four six on the other side, a newly bulked up Cameron Dantzler and the back end is being patrolled by like 31 year old Harrison Smith, man, I'm just I'm grabbing whatever insane speedster is like on the free agent market like Marvin Hall. I'm just grabbing Marvin Hall and just putting that on the field, right? I'm still going to have my best receivers out there, but I'm just going to get a guy that runs a 4-3 and just see what happens, right? Uh, like, it, you you can't have a secondary where no one is fast. Uh, and so uh, that that's that's a pretty big concern if, if the only guy that at, at any point, even in a fake pro day situation, um, if the only guy that you have that might be able to run fast um, – can't bulk up like i it's 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 tough i think that there's a lot of concerns here (laughs) like i mean a lot of teams have figured out that fast receivers are good i feel like this is not going to be an uncommon problem for the vikings unmute yourself paul oh sorry i I wasn't sure how the questions (laughs) were going back and forth i guess just listening to this conversation then we're going okay well we're not sure about cameron dantzler we're not really sure about any of the other corners uh safety we're not really Sure about tight end. We feel good about Irv Smith, but we don't know. Same. We hope <laughs> Bradbury has a bounce back year, but we don't know. So now I'm running through my head. How many? It sounds like a team that should draft a quarterback. I know. <laughs> Why are you so negative, Paul? I, I'm, I'm just wondering, like going through it now, like how many positions do you feel solid about? And does this running back the most important? <laughs> I was going to say there's a couple wide receivers. There's a running back. There's a quarterback. But after this, I'm. It's like. I mean, even Daniil Hunter, you don't know. I yeah, mean, right. Even even Ed Rusher, just like, I don't know. And linebacker, like Eric Hendricks, good, fine. Anthony Barr, probably pretty good. I'm I'm a huge Anthony Barr defender, right? But he's also not going to be in the building for that much longer. Like, you don't rework a contract so that a guy hits free agency because you're, you're definitely going to keep him, right? So um, even even at linebacker, you've got uncertainty. And, and that's a position the Vikings have just been good at for the past three years. Yeah, I don't know, man. Just take take what I probably mean, don't take a linebacker in the first round. I mean, I guess it makes sense, but like I, I, that positional value is just not there for me. I have some fun over unders that I thought of for Delvin Cook uh, that I want to that I want to give you. But let me ask you this question first. So don't let me forget that because both of them I think are really good. Um, so they've got a little bit of money left, and as we've gone through this, where there's uncertainty, and yes, I think that all of this points to, Hey, if one of those five quarterbacks are there, you should really just do that because you need a lot of things to click in order for this year to be great. And so you should be thinking about the future more than you're thinking about, Hey, let's just fill this defensive end. And then we'll be all set like they have tried to do in the past. Um, So I, I, I guess I wonder like, is there a point to trying to get, I don't know, Jadavian Clowney or, 
Is it just try to stack up for the questions that we have? If Jeff Gladney's not going to play, then maybe you add another very cheap corner. You add, there, there's always the Adrian Claiborne out there or Jabal Sheard or something. So there's always right. like a pass rusher who goes from team to team to team. We don't love them as much as journeyman quarterbacks, but we love them. Uh, and the Vikings never get those guys because they've been all set with Daniel Hunter and, and Everson Griffin, but they're not set now. So you've got 7 million to work with more is coming off the books, but that's kind of earmarked for the draft. So what, what do you think will happen with this remaining money in the, in the cap space? That more that's coming off the books. That's like the Kyle Rudolph money, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. It's another, okay. it's another like seven or 8 million, but okay, yeah. And that, so that would exclusively be for the draft. Yeah. yeah. And, and Brian O'Neill and contract extension. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, if, so the thing is, if the Vikings really want to compete this year and it very much sounds like they do, which, um, yeah, it's a choice. Uh, <laughs> uh, then yeah, they don't, they don't want to turn that money into rollover money. They want to be able to use it right now and save their jobs. So, um, yeah, I think that pro probably your best investment is in a pass rusher. I think that the the quality of like the the street free agents at pass rusher are just better than they are at like cornerback or anything else. Um, and I think kind of approaching this so that you don't feel like you're in a spot where you have to rely on a first round rookie to just solve your problem for you at whatever position is probably the best approach. Again, if you really feel like you've got a playoff push in you. And and the way that the negative intern Paul pointed out, um, we don't we have no idea, right? <laughs> if if they if 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 they've got the the capability to really push for the playoffs, and if they do, like, what's the point? Are they going to win the Super Bowl? I, I mean, that'd be fun. <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen. Good for content. I yeah, it'd be great yeah. for content. Yeah, um, but yeah, I just it it doesn't feel that likely. Um, so. Yeah, in, in the world where the Vikings have convinced themselves that they're playoff contenders, and it's it's an odd-numbered year, so they are, um, then, uh, then yeah, I, I think they absolutely should should find some starting-quality veterans, which are strangely still available, even on the offensive line. Like, Eric Fisher's still out there, right? Um, Mitchell Schwartz is, like, posting a bunch of food picks like he's about to retire, but I think you could convince him. Like, I think you could get Mitchell Schwartz. Um, I know that that means you've got two right tackles, but who cares? You'll figure it out. Uh, <laughs> they're both good players. You'll figure it out. Um, so like, yeah, there's offensive linemen, there's pass rushers. I think those are your best values um, among the street free agents. You could probably get a corner just because the Jeff Gladney situation is, uh, is really concerning from every perspective, but from the perspective of the organization and availability perspective. Um, and uh, in, in, you don't really want to feel like you, you'll be forced to to take that first rounder thinking that that's going to be the guy that that's going to be the centerpiece of your playoff push. Because um, last year we said like, wow, the Vikings really have to nail this draft if they want to be competitive. And honestly, they kind of did. They kind of nailed the draft and they weren't competitive. So are we in a situation where they have to nail the draft? Do they have to pull together another 2015 draft, another 2020 draft? Like, that's asking a lot. Like after the Saints' 2017 draft, they did, they didn't put together another amazing, insane draft. After the 2015 draft, the Vikings had the 2016 draft. I mean, great. So like it's it's tough to 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 say like, you know, the Vikings if they if they pull three high quality starters out of this draft, they'll be set. Like, yeah, I guess pretty big if. Um, if they want to compete, I think that they should spend the seven million dollars somewhere, and I think the trenches are your best value. 
Hey everyone, anybody who listens to the show knows that Sam and I may not be scratch golfers, but we love to have a great time playing golf. And that's why we have partnered with Birdie Golf in Woodbury. Birdie Golf is hands down the best indoor golf experience you will ever have. There are eight of the world's best golf simulators where you can sharpen your swing and luckily for us, never lose a ball. But it's not just for hardcore golfers. Birdie Golf is for everyone. Bring the family, play arcade style games while dining on great food in an upscale and comfortable environment. They have private bays for social distancing, a luxury lounge for private events, outdoor patio, and scratch kitchen. You'll want to try the whiskey or beer float flights and the best boneless wings in the metro. Make golf a night out or the place to hold parties, events, fundraisers, even your fantasy football draft. Check out Birdie Golf at 494 in Valley Creek in Woodbury, just a short drive from anywhere in the Twin Cities metro, and at birdiegolf.com, or you could call 651-998-2200 today. I'll see you there. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey everyone, I want to tell you about our friends at Scout Logistics, and I really do mean it when I say friends. They are fans of Purple Insider over at Scout Logistics, and since they reached out wanting to support this show, I want to tell you about what they do. Scout Logistics is just-in-time transportation for full tractor-trailer loads, and if you're wondering what that means exactly... Well, if you own or work for a company that needs shipping solutions, they are the preferred carrier of Fortune 500 companies across North America, and we have quite a few of those in Minnesota, right? They can ship perishable, non-perishable, FTL or LTL, and they have on-time delivery rate of over 99%. So if you're like them and you enjoy the show and you have shipping needs, check out scoutlogistics.com or call 855 217-2688 extension 232 to connect with them directly to find out how Scout Logistics can minimize risk and overperform and go the extra mile for your company. Over the last few weeks, I've become more and more just infatuated with the idea of them maybe trading back in that first round, especially if Penny Sewell, Rashawn Slater are off the board when all those quarterbacks are off the board, just because They have that big hole between their first pick and then all the way to the third round. And there seems to be a lot of value to be had in that second round. Say those top two tackles are off the board. Those quarterbacks are off the board. There's like three or four edge rushers that people are talking about in the Vikings name. You could slide back, get one of those guys. There's the wide receivers that I like. There's kind of that second tier of tackle, like Christian Derrissaw and the USC kid that I can't remember his name off the top. Elijah Vera Tucker. Yeah, there we go. Long Um, name. Yeah. So it, to me, one of the things I was as I just draft sim all the time is looking for those those second round picks that we can try to get back to where they can find another higher tier talent. And so, do you feel like that would be a good move, or do they? Does it need to be more of a premium guy that you're going to grab in those first fifteen picks? Someone who could be there that is really going to elevate it over maybe someone you get at twenty three who is good, but he's not one of those elite elite talents that maybe is available to them at fourteen. 
I, I think the guy would have to be truly elite for me to think that you should not trade back. I think that acquiring more talent, especially given the Vikings roster, but just generally, like as a rule, um, trading back is just generally better than than staying put or trading up. And for the Vikings especially, I just, like, if Kyle Pitts falls, I, screw it, take him, right? Like, whatever. Um, if if you could have the hilarious situation where Mac Jones is behind Kirk Cousins um, after, like, we've just spent an offseason comparing him to, to Kirk Cousins to justify Kyle Shanahan picking him, like, that would be amazing, right? But also, he's a first-round quality. He's a good quarterback, right? So just pick him. Um, Penny Sewell, yeah, actually, I think he's just so good that, fine. Um, but even if it's Rashawn Slater, I'd be pretty comfortable trading back. Um, I, I think that it, you'd have to have just a really high quality talent. And after Jamar Chase, and I think there is actually a pretty big distance between Chase and the Alabama receivers. Uh, and then also, despite, I forget who tweeted it today, um, R- Rashad Bateman. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, if it's, if it's Chase, Pitts, Sewell, yeah, take them. If it's a quarterback, take them. I can't think of anybody else that I'd want there that, that I, I would rather not have a second round pick for. And I think probably the most optimal solution is to trade back, grab a late second, because I mean, all your trade back partners only really have late seconds unless it's like Miami. Um, and, uh, and then with that second round pick, probably this is the only situation where I'd want to trade up, but I would, I would trade back that late second into the mid or the early second. Cause I think there is probably a talent cliff there. Um, where where you d- you just don't get offensive linemen that are really fit for the wide zone and stuff like that, but you might be able to get um, the Notre Dame guy, the COVID guy, Liam Eikenberg, uh, the COVID the guy. The COVID was, guy, wow. Well, I mean, he just he missed the medical recheck because he had a medical issue. Um, so I mean, uh, every every college player that played this year probably got COVID anyway. So right, yeah, right. <laughs> um, but he he got it pretty late in the process, I guess. Um, but yeah, uh, like a Liam Eikenberg or Samuel Cosme or whatever, you might be able to get in the top of the second. And I think that that would be pretty ideal. Um, so that, I think the ideal scenario is you trade back in the first, maybe you get like, um, a Jason Oa who would not be like a a rookie starter. He's got a lot to work on, but, or, or a quitty pay or, or whoever. Right. Uh, and I, I think Jalen Phillips is like the best defensive player in the draft. Right. Just, I mean, based on the on film stuff. Right. Um, but like you get whoever I think an edge rusher makes the most sense maybe. Um, and then if you find a way to get back into the middle of the second round or the top of the second round, um, that's when you probably grab that offensive lineman. Cause I think the difference between like, and I think Rashawn Slater is probably the best guy, but I think the difference between him and Derrissaw and Derrissaw and the rest of that group is just small enough that it's probably just worth waiting. Um, so that I think is the ideal scenario and, and you lose maybe a third round pick doing that but you've, you've got a bevy of thirds and fourths that you can use to, to fill out receiver, cornerback safety, maybe grab a linebacker or a tight end. I don't know. What I like about this draft is this is the first time since I've covered them that I've really had no idea what they were going to do. Um, Mike Hughes surprised me a little, but then they took Brian O'Neill right after that because we were all talking about offensive line. Um, and even then, Mike Zimmer drafting a corner was not super shocking. This year, it is just so wide open in so many ways. The trade scenarios are robust. Uh, so there's, I mean, there's so many different options that it makes it lots of fun to draft Sim a thousand times. Uh, all right. Okay. Let me give you the uh, Dalvin Cook over-unders. I feel like we really missed this opportunity to talk about this more with 17 games, Arif, that like Delvin, oh, Delvin yeah. Cook, okay. Delvin Cook is going to set every record if he stays healthy in terms of touching the football. So uh, total touches 
450 is my over under yet total touches. So that would be, you know, like a hundred. Well, let's see hundred catches, 75 catches close to 400 carries somewhere in that range. Um, which seems not totally had a 300 carry season. Uh, last year he was on pace to go well over 400. Uh, he's always touches. on pace. Right. Yeah. Well, right. The, the injury. And then the, <laughs> he also had a death in the family where he missed the last game. So yeah. like projecting him to play 17 games is excessive right there. But if he does, here's the other one that I think is interesting too. That one is a little snarky saying 450 touches, but here's the, here's the important one though. 4.5 yards per carry. For Delvin Cook, after what he went through last year with his workload, both of you answer this. Do we think he's going to be over or under that? Uh, I'm going to go with over. I think to the extent that passing influence is running, I think teams will just be really focused on like Justin Jefferson or whatever. Um, and, and the Vikings will still want to run him into advantageous boxes. I mean, I, the way that they talked about how they were designing their defensive philosophy made me think that they have some understanding of a way to design an offense to at least when they do run, run it advantageously. So um, despite cook coming off of a workload that generally screams regression, I, I I'll go over. I, I'd also go over. I think any yearly total, I'd probably go under based on how much he ran the ball last year and just his propensity to miss games. And I was looking at his stats, at least uh, for pro, pro football reference, he had 312 rushes last year. 44 wow. receptions. Okay. So that's 356 in those 14 games. So Did I get, he have the most carries in the NFL last year? I, I don't have that. I up. Derrick Henry might have. Yeah, I was about to say Derrick Henry yeah. and then him, right? Uh, yeah. I think that's oh, yeah. it. He, yep. And missed two games. 356 Jesus in Christ. 14 games. So he'd have to average like whatever, 33 combined. Um, they, they, had a, they had a negative game script. What the hell were they doing? Okay. We've already had this. Yeah. No. Jesus. But Christ. yeah. So. <laughs> and he's never he's never averaged under four and a half yards uh per uh, per game or per rush in in any season that he's been in the NFL. So I wouldn't bet any totals just because I feel like he might get injured. Uh, but in terms of when he's on the field, I think he's shown through injuries or not, he's going to be um, a pretty darn good running back. So I'd go over four and a half. I just looked at guys who had his workload from last year, and they usually regressed in yards yeah. per carry the year after. And yeah. so I'm not saying that he's going to be garbage. It's just that in the second halves of seasons, he has each year over the last two years regressed after we went, Oh my God, he's the MVP. Yeah, he's having an MVP season for right. a running back. It's incredible. And then the set. Yeah. I remember both, both seasons, the first half of the season, he was the best running back in the NFL, better than Christian McCaffrey, better than Derek Henry. Mm-hmm. Second half of the season, you're like, Oh, I remember these other two running backs. Oh, they're better. Right. Right. And uh, there's no Mike Boone to not play this year. So <laughs> does it change if he goes to number four, if he becomes number four, did you see him tweet that out? Oh yeah. That he wants to be number oh, four. Oh yeah. No, if, if he, uh, if he switches to number four, I think he's getting 2000 yards. <laughs> I like it. I like yeah. it. I want to see. I, I, lo- I just, as an aside, this number rule is amazing. I love yeah, it's it. Great. I don't yeah, want receivers wearing a ton of numbers in the twenties. That's my only thing. Um, I think 21 is great. I think 27 uh, is pretty good. 29 is good. But I mean, these are like running back numbers to me typically. Yeah. Um, but a receiver wearing number one, that's my dude. That's my favorite receiver in the NFL. Whoever's wearing number one. I might have eight receivers that are my favorite in the NFL, but that's that's great. If, if Percy Harvin um, was able to wear number one in the NFL, he'd be playing today. <laughs> <laughs> it would have changed the course of Vikings history. Yeah, um, it'd be great. Yeah. 
I he want, would have had 2,000 rushing yards in a season. I don't care. Yes. I want Rondale Moore to wear 21 because like Eric Metcalf and Deion Sanders. Oh, God. Yeah. 21. Rondale Moore wearing yeah. 21. That's yeah. that's elite. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Super cool. So uh, Arif Hassan doing great work at The Athletic leading up to the NFL draft and, uh, you know, covering free agency as well. Paul, um, you know. I'm doing stuff. <laughs> kind of. No, Good Paul, no, honestly, you've, you've done a great job filling in for Sam, except for the time where you were exhausted from having your second shot of the vaccination, which will give you a free pass on that. So um, you're good. Thanks a lot, Arif. And this was a really fun uh, Friday roundtable. We'll do it again sometime very soon, man. Awesome. Great. Looking forward to it.